0: and go we're on welcome back to dangerous rhetoric guys this is episode 88 before uh, we jump into it i'm going to remind you guys as always to please like comment subscribe you know we like to hear your thoughts so definitely leave comments if you want to help us keep doing this donate um we'll gladly take your money it's definitely not easy doing this sort of thing um the censorship is heavy right now still and we got our second strike on our youtube account so one more, and we're we're off YouTube. So, But if that happens, you can always find us on DangerousRhetoric.com. We host everything on Rumble. You can find us on Spotify, all of that. Odyssey. Odyssey, yeah. With that said, today we are joined by a very special guest. Um, we're very grateful he's um, taking the time to speak with us. Michael Rechtenwald, who is an American scholar. He's taught at various universities, most notably NYU. Um, his scholarship is focused mostly on 19th century secularism, contemporary secularism, free thought movement, But he's best known as a critic of the social justice movement and the woke ideology that has been spreading across the Western world. Um, He's written a couple books on those topics, such as Springtime for Snowflakes, um, Social Justice and its Postmodern Parentage, uh, Beyond Woke, Google Archipelago, The Digital Gulag and the Simulation of Freedom. Um, I got to check all these books out, by the way, and your latest book is coming out soon, which is uh, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty Unraveling the Global Agenda, which we'll talk a bit about today. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us, man.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I guess
0: we'll, I kind of want to start a bit with like your story, like where you came from. Like I know you started in academia. Um, You know, when, when did you start to change your, I guess, focus in academia towards the political spectrum and less on the subjects that you studied and and used to teach? Like, what was it that kind of first brought the woke ideology to your attention where you felt like, well, I need to push back against this?
1: Well, I was was always pretty much focused on political things, uh, not in my research so much. Uh, Well, there was some politics involved in my research, but... Uh, I was a Marxist, you know, so uh, I wasn't uh, completely apolitical by any stretch. Okay. And I was always critical of the left, though, as a Marxist. Uh, I considered the left not to be part of Marxism. Hmm.
2: Uh,
1: I don't agree with that now, but I did think that way. Um, I always had issues with uh, identity politics and uh, with uh, some of the... Um, you know, uh, leftist ideas, you know, mostly I thought even then that the left was really for elites, you know, and it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the workers and, uh, that in fact, you know, the left was an impediment to, um, uh, to Marxist, uh, hegemony or if, if whatever you want to call it. And, um, uh, so, but, um, uh, then, um, uh, when I did criticize, uh, social justice and, uh, Woke ideology it wasn't called wokeness yet. This was 2016, and, and I, I had some other issues before 2016. Uh, I, I was in, uh, involved in, as a chair of a hiring committee in, at NYU for uh, a writing and journalism professor, and uh, you know, I saw them skip over uh, the best candidates for uh, somebody who could barely write a sentence and couldn't really couldn't write a sentence. Yeah, as a approach. writing professor based on their identity strictly. Uh, and uh, I saw them pass over stellar uh, applicants. And I was the chair and I tried to stop it. And they got they got me thrown off the committee entirely. Wow. Um, and uh, there was uh, several other things uh, having to do with, uh, you know, academic policies and stuff that started bothering me. But in 2016, it really came to a head. Uh, with uh, the uh, safe spaces and trigger warnings and uh, bias reporting hotlines and all that. When I did a simple interview with a New York University newspaper reporter, the student newspaper then, uh, I criticized all of these things. And uh, lo and behold, uh, within two days, I was forced into a leave of absence and condemned by the uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Group. Essentially, when they condemned me, that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion group, um, they said I was guilty for the structure of my and content of my thinking. In other yeah. words, I was guilty for wrong think. Wrong think. Yep. And yep. Uh, uh,
0: just really quick, I like um, Gad Sads' arrangement of that acronym. He he has it a uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity. He switches it around so it yeah it, die it,
1: yeah it, yeah.
0: And I think that's that's a little more appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, It is death by diversity in many cases, um, uh, which I can talk about later. But anyway, the whole left came after me at once after this. And um, I just realized um, that I was dealing with totalitarianism. But also I noticed that when when I criticized this wokeness, I noticed the whole, not just these faculty members. It wasn't students, by the way. It was faculty and administrators that came down on me like a ton of bricks. I recognized that I had hit a third rail and that this wokeness and social justice ideology was not simply about some blue haired, uh, campus kids. This was really the ideology of the elite. This wasn't just, uh, some sort of a trend. This was really the dominant ideology because you were not allowed to criticize it. And, uh, everything really changed from there. Um, Once I recognized the totalitarianism of the whole left, inclusive of Marxists, especially, I should say, even, uh, I left the left. Uh, I I made an announcement that I was done with the left. I didn't know where I was going, uh, but uh, I was homeless uh, politically for quite a while, you know, maybe a year or so. And then I I started to... um, Critique. Uh, I started to come across criticisms of, of socialism and Marxism from Ludwig von Mises, and I, I started to get into the Austrian school. And uh, be, before, now, it, I, before you know it, before you know it, I immediately became a civil libertarian. But then soon, I, I transformed into an economic libertarian as well. And um, so it was a process of about. Let's put it this way. I was a Marxist in uh, October of uh, of 2016, and I voted for Trump in, Novo- in November. <laughs>
2: <That is an laughs> impressive transformation, bad bad man, <laughs>
1: canceled you bigot.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah, I,
1: was- I mean, I, one of the things I did in that Twitter account, which I'm no longer on, and I had changed the name anyway two or three times since the anti NYU. PC anti-PC NYU prof as i called myself the deplorable NYU professor <laughs> and uh, that was enough to trigger these people out of their minds and uh really i did that because i was trying to uh i was i was in solidarity with them i wasn't really so much a trump fan at first in fact i'm you know there's many criticisms i have for trump likewise but that's not the issue, really. The issue was the way that uh, they were tossed into this basket of deplorables by Hillary Clinton and the way that they were denigrated by these coastal elitists. And I, I, I frankly, I identify more with the, the flyover people. And I don't like elitism at all. Uh, but then I realized this elitism is tied to the elite and their agenda. And uh, since then, I've been on a crusade of really what I would call power elite analysis. Okay, And uh, and that's where I am now. Yeah, no,
2: I think uh, that's honestly kind of what we need. We need more daylight sort of being strewn into the system of power, how power functions, uh, who are the real power players. Mm -hmm. And a little, I think a lot of daylight on that situation will reveal a lot of things that they don't want revealed and that could easily threaten their power which is why they try so hard to avoid critique why yeah. they're in league with the the big tech companies why certain things are foreboding to be spoken yeah. on youtube or tiktok yeah. or twitter a
0: friend of ours uh posted something on twitter the other day it was uh it says truth does not mind being questioned a lie does not like being challenged and it's it, it becomes very obvious when you look at who's getting banned who's getting suspended who's actually speaking the truth and like challenging that the elite yeah. and posing a threat to them because uh you know if you're not facing any kind of censorship at all you're probably not really much of a threat you're probably not saying anything that's really rocking the boat you know
1: exactly and what i recognize one of the things that's changed over this period you know so when i was a marxist you know you're, you're trained to believe that you know capitalist ideology is the dominant ideology and you know libertarianism is the ultimate enemy, uh, you know anything to do with the free market and all that. but then I realized uh over the course of a very, very short time that the actual dominant ideology is leftist. Yeah. this is a very very for a Marxist, that's a very big thing to come to believe me <clears throat> believe me, that kind of realization is that you realize the elite are leftists. Now I've talked about why they're leftists and stuff, uh, pretty much in, in the last few books I've written, uh, and in this new one, I talk about that.
0: You posted something yesterday on your Facebook that I thought was an interesting point that I wanted to touch on a bit. Um, I guess I'll just, I'll read the quote of, you okay. know, from your latest book. Um, you wrote with its apparent Concern for the universal common good, leftist ideology provides the best cover for disguising totalitarian ambitions. Leftist totalitarians attempt to exert control over the world for the supposed welfare of the masses, the community, the disadvantaged, the developing world, women, children, the economy, the planet. Rightist totalitarianism, on the other hand, wears its totalitarian ambitions on its sleeve. It openly suggests that it must dominate for its own sake because of some putative natural superiority. Such avowed supremacism does not represent a viable approach for achieving global hegemony. This explains why rightist totalitarianism is very rare, while leftist totalitarianism virtually dominated the 20th century. Nazism is a curious case. It was both socialist while also race supremacist. Rightist totalitarianism, if it ever exists in pure form, offers little opportunity for buy-in from the masses. Its aim for domination is made too explicit. Leftist totalitarianism, on the other hand, poses as benign and clearly beneficial, as the de facto no-fault ideology whose moral probity is deemed unassailable, a supposed universal concern for the common good, not only hides its totalitarian ambitions from the masses, but also perhaps from the elites themselves. I thought this was a really fascinating point. I had—I mean, I i guess we had kind of thought of it in this way, but i had never quite- Articulated it. Arti- had heard it articulated quite in this way. So I thought it was profound.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Uh... Yeah. Now, some would say, you know, I got some pushback on that post that it's uh, there is no such thing as a right and left and all that. Uh, okay, but people adopt positions that are leftist, and so whether they're real or not, they adopt these positions, and there's a reason why it's a smokescreen for a totalitarianism. You know, right. and I, I, I said rightist totalitarianism is. In its pure form is very rare in fact i think it's almost uh unexampled in history i don't i don't think there's any pure right-wing totalitarianism in history that i can speak of whereas the 20th century is littered with the corpses of uh victims to leftist totalitarianism
0: yeah and, and it's always you know under the guise of this is for the common good you know like right look at the Bolsheviks and everything that they did and what resulted from that, you know, and there are still people today, like I see everywhere who praise these people who praise Lenin.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. these heroes who, who, you know, still whose ideas, if we just embraced them, would it, result in this this
2: beautiful society where, if only I time. was yeah. implementing their ideas, which, it would be perfect yes, to and we'd reach utopia.
0: Which is Peter Jordan Peterson talks about this <laughs> often. You know, when point. when people say that, like, "Oh, well, real communism hasn't been tried yet." Like, yeah. what what they're actually saying is that, well, if I did it or if yeah. we did it, yeah. you know then we would do it the correct way but what is the correct way you know and this is what we're mm-hmm. seeing
2: we're seeing a lot of uh compassion it's almost like compassion trolling where mm-hmm. the activists uh, claim to be the compassionate party they claim to be the defenders of the weak and defenders of the minorities when in actuality they are more akin to slave owners they they look at us. Mm-hmm. Other- property they look at gays as property they look at trans people as property and they get very uppity whenever there's a gay or a trans person or an african-american any minority does not yeah Yeah. it does not line up then they're even seen as you know worse than (laughs) you know uh, a a white christian conservative for example who it's it's expected
1: from Mm
2: -hmm. Um, it's just very
1: violates their orthodoxy (laughs) and uh it is uh they're paternalistic to to the nth degree uh, so and very patronizing so and but and, and crippling of those people that they claim to be um, advocates for yeah
2: yeah it reminds me of like the all-consuming mother archetype it's almost like a corrupt maternalism it's not so to me it doesn't seem paternal all and it's more, it's it's like a very consuming mother is what it reminds me of. And it's similar to, uh, well, cluster B dynamics. We can get into that. Once.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I guess I, it's kind of a narcissistic mother uh, mother, yes. uh, maternalism.
2: Yeah, and they, they literally, they want
0: to control identity and how it's expressed. You know, they talk about tolerance and all this stuff, but what it comes down to is they're very intolerant of any diversity of thought. So, you know, we talked to Adam Coleman a couple episodes back, and it's like, people like him get accused of not blacking correctly you're you're not doing blackness correctly mm-hmm. if you don't you know adhere to the democrat worldview or the extreme leftist worldview or you know whatever you're just you're not doing it right you can't hold any conservative position at all and someone like him is is more of a moderate you know he identifies yeah. as independent you know he just voted republic republican for the first time but he still identifies as an independent but
1: I think this is what, uh, you know, whatever his flaws or whatever his mistakes, I think this is what Kanye West is basically saying, that they're mentally trying to enslave you. Yes. You're not allowed freedom of thought, and you can't go outside of these shackles that they have, uh, these mind-forged manacles, uh, to put it in Blakeian terms. You can't go, you can't shake these mind-forged manacles that they have forged for you, and if you do, you're you're off the reservation intellectually, and that's not allowed. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's why they're attacking Kanye and doing everything they can. You know, they're the anti-Semitism. They'll you know they'll say all kinds of things in order to paint him just to be as the worst person possible. Because you know, as soon as you step outside of that box, it's like you said, they start coming after you because they want to control
1: you.
0: Kanye's not really the best with his words, though. No, <laughs> he very I, much.
1: I mean, people call that. him a genius. I don't know his music yeah Not verbally he's no genius
0: okay? <laughs> nah, he's he's very, he's, certainly, he's certainly very creative and and he has a really strong sense of self and personality yeah and he's he's willing to stand up for for whatever he does he's
1: independent yeah, yeah he's independent. independent thinker
0: that's what and they I,
1: I don't think he's a genius verbally but i have no idea about his music um, my son he he vouches for his genius as a musician uh, I, my son is a musician, so I'll take yeah. his word for it. But I, I haven't, know. I
0: haven't explored his discography enough, you know, to make that. Like I listen to some rap music, but I haven't really gone much into into Kanye and stuff. But
1: you mainstream. know,
0: but clearly he's, you know, he is successful for a reason. And oh yeah, I'm
1: yeah, sure. absolutely. But, yeah, now, he's a sculptor, according to my son. He's a musical sculpt sculptor yeah. uh, that he's able to sculpt some sort of music uh, in a way that's. Uh, totally uh, original. And he said, nobody is doing what he does. So uh, I believe it. I I just haven't, you know, it's not my, I'm not sure if it's my cup of tea at all. I just haven't really, really sampled it as they would say. I haven't sampled it. Yeah. He's
0: definitely changed a lot. You know, I feel like, just a few years ago, he was someone I honestly couldn't really stand. Like I thought his ego was just way too big. And it's just, it's been interesting to see him try to put that aside to get rid of the flashy clothes. You know, he was talking to Lex Friedman and I watched that interview the other day and he's, you know, sitting there in a a dirty hoodie with like paint stains on it and stuff, you know, and like a truck. So it's just like it, the transformation of Kanye has been fascinating to see, but um, on the subject of censorship. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that that pushback against him. Um, what was the offending tweet that got you booted off of Twitter? Well,
1: I, I can't really be sure. They won't tell me, but I, I think yeah. that it had to do with um, some tweets that I made about uh, transgenderism and abortion. Okay. Uh, now, I, all I said was I thought it was part of, not the whole thing, but it's part of a neo-Malthusian uh, population depopulation campaign.
0: Uh, I think. I uh, agree with that.
1: Yeah, That's- I mean, it's not. and Some people say, "Well, they're not mutilating enough people to be <clears throat> controlling the population." Well, they're confusing enough and mutilating yeah. plenty others enough that it's it's its tendency is towards that. And certainly, abortion can obviously be seen as part of an. I mean, this is Planned Parenthood said so themselves. Uh, they, they have been on paper saying basically they they've been trying. Uh, so,
0: I mean, I'll go further and say that this is like a multifaceted plan where oh yeah. there's multiple factors at play here. To,
1: yeah.
0: If not simply just reduce it, but slow the population down. And like, you know, people like to say, oh, Bill Gates wants to reduce the population. From what I've looked at, he's not on record saying that. What he is on record saying though, is we need to slow the population growth.
1: Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is deep population is, growth. Yeah, and that's, that's bad enough, enough you know. Uh, but
2: frankly, it's the same thing. So well, at the end of the day, if you're slowing growth, you're yeah. still killing people Yes. or so, preventing people from coming into existence. By
0: multifaceted though, you know. The lockdowns, the
2: <clears throat> Yeah.
0: The you know the I won't say anything we,
1: about that, don't yeah. worry. <laughs>
0: but the pushing of the uh of, of abortion, right? And making that not only something that's like should be an option, but something that is almost like praise
1: now. Like it's, it's not like and yeah, it's yeah, it's, no it's no longer
0: see, yeah. it's not pro girls. Girls anymore. it's pro abortion now. So.
1: They get these little girls, thirteen years old, to stand on baby dolls' heads and stuff like that. Yeah, that's I mean, sick. It's, yeah. it's 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 very sick and it's very anti-human. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they've glamorized it and made it into like a a, 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 a you know a, a something that you can't do without um,
2: it's like a sacrament almost yeah. in their faith.
1: Like, so the yeah. the train stuff is the same.
2: Yeah, this trans stuff is also very sacramental. And they've
1: glamorized
2: it. Like, oh, yeah. it's
0: spreading around because social media, that's the main, main thing. I mean, oh. if you look at the correlation, it's very clear. The rise in that and the rise in popularity of things like TikTok and Instagram, like the youth are seeing these things and it's, it's a glamorized thing now. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And they're, they're not taught about the repercussions, they're not being warned against, you know, like, that there could be any possible consequences. No, there's in the no, informed consent.
2: no informed there's consent. There's no consent really at all because yeah. I would argue that what's there what's happening to these kids is a sexual experience and they cannot give consent no. because they are minors. Yeah. Yeah. And I would even argue that some of these surgeons are fetishists. Yep.
1: You yeah. have- something up something up with that. They're definitely not they're using the, the whole
2: cloak of, you know, medical authority and legitimate practice. But every
1: time you criticize this transgender movement, you get accused of being a transphobe. Yep. Yes. You know, and I, I'm not a transphobe. I'm actually disgusted by it. I'll be real frank. Um, but I'm not a phobe in the sense yeah. that I'm afraid of or have some sort of, I would never act prejudicially against somebody based on their identity. I think you know
0: people who have legitimate dysphoria and struggle with that mentally. I sympathize with it and we we had a you know we've had a couple detransitioners on the show. We've had 3 on, but mm. we've had a trans person on as well, Sarah Higdon, you know, who does not require people to play this mental game that yeah. they are exactly what they are trying to appear as. They know they're biologically male. Sarah knows that. Sarah yeah. just simply is dealing with dysphoria, made these decisions to try to live more comfortably, but agrees with our positions that we need to stop doing this and pushing this toward the youth, you know, and we need to stop this like a firm, firm approach. And we need to go back to the watchful waiting approach when it comes to dealing with that very small minority of people who have dysphoria that continues, you know, out of yeah. their adolescence. But it's
1: apparently part of a very big agenda. Um, yes. Yeah. And the question is what is this agenda and I think part of it is malthusian neo Malthusian part of it is other things. I think it's about debasing the family, breaking up the family unit because if you get rid of husband and wife, man woman, you get rid of husband and wife, get rid of husband and wife, you get rid of husband, wife, and child you you're on a you're you're a long way towards dismantling the family entirely so uh you know. It's-, it's a war on
0: reality. It feels like because when you when you start getting rid of concepts as basic as biological sex, mm-hmm. basically anything goes at that point. If we can't even as a society agree anymore on just very basic things like that, yeah. we're off the deep end, you know. Well, this
1: and- is uh, this is interesting. That uh, you know, I'm no Putin fan, but he said some very interesting things about this. He said we've been through this movie before with the Bolsheviks and we don't want anything to do with it where everything is changing all the definitions birthing mother you know uh chest beater menstruating person all all these all this new nomenclature this is part of a this is part of a revolution this is part of a uh, cultural Marxist revolution
2: yeah, I've been calling it neo-communism uh, because it's you know it's it's new. It's like a new face, and also it's like the American variant. Which you know we have Bolshevism in uh, Russia, and we have the Chinese communism and Maoism in China. Mm-hmm. America, it's gonna be different. It's gotta be. It's gotta be trendy. It's gotta be flashy. It's gotta be popular. Um, yeah and it's got to be just packaged in the, in just the right way that you know it appeals to young people because that's who they're targeting with this they know oh, they yeah, can, for sure they can't get they can't get you know older people because our brains are actually developed and we can we have critical yeah. capacities and an experience that we can reflect on but these young people if they can separate them from us and turn us into the enemy and then capture the young people which is probably why they're going after the schools and the yeah. teachers Right, And also things like TikTok, like uh, TikTok in America, it has a different set of algorithmic uh, priorities than it does in China. Yeah. And this is it's, a, it's an interesting point. You see a lot of transgenderism on TikTok. And you see a lot of you know homosexuality and LGBT and in China it's all science experiments yeah. and like you know technical stuff and so it's and
0: very, it's obvious they have you know a particular thing they want to promote yes. here in the West. But you yeah. know, you brought up you brought up homosexuality and one you know, Brent and I are gay, if you didn't know. Yeah, and yeah. one of the, one of the things we are concerned about with the whole trans ideology movement is the vast majority of these kids who are gender non-conforming, mm-hmm go through puberty and they age they're probably just going to turn out to be lesbian yes. or gay adults oh,
1: certainly and So, yeah it's part of
0: the
1: so it's in, just in that sense, the, sense it's almost eugenics um, it's a
0: conversion therapy it's it's like a literal form of conversion therapy where we're like well you're not good the way you are right you're, not, you're so maybe you're actually the other sex you know yeah. and maybe we should change you into a heterosexual or whatever and it's yeah. just, it's crazy, and we we're concerned because one, you know, the whole thing makes us look bad, and mm-hmm. we definitely want to draw that line and say, "Hey, look, there are plenty of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people out there." There are, you not know, not even like, plenty. We are the majority. Yeah, and we mentioned Sarah yeah. before who disagree with this approach and p- promoting this stuff in schools, shoving it down you know children's throats and just like indoctrinating them with this stuff because it reflects badly on us, but also it's harming people. Like us, kids who probably will turn out like us, and they're not even given if, they, if
1: they were allowed to. Yeah,
0: if they were allowed to, they're not being given a chance to really figure that out anymore. They're just being told, like, "Oh, well, you're probably the other sex." In so, fact,
1: you see yeah. this happening in uh, some Islamic cultures where yes. they're trying to convert yes. people, convert people to transgenderism because yes. being gay is uh is verboten it's yeah it's a standard
2: practice standard practice for homosexual men in iran if they don't want to get out if they want they
1: they transition
2: yeah
0: wow. whereas here in the west it's like praised you know whereas over there it's it's a practice to literally so just this kind
1: of puts a taint on being gay and lesbian in effect um it does yeah
2: yeah, yeah. um tick tock yeah interesting i also wanted to mention uh maybe we can move on to do you want to move on to current events um, I will let you direct that. So I had some, I've been censored a couple of times on TikTok. I like to do 60 second little current event news updates just to like wet people's appetite, you know, practice my comedy and, um, you know, encourage people to do their own research on subjects. Mm-hmm. So I started questioning this uh, Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi break-in situation from last week and TikTok censors almost <clears throat> every video I make about it. They pull down. Oh, sure. So it's interesting that this is like uh, a—it's a, a button issue for them. They're very concerned about people. You know, they're calling it misinformation, but really, I think the official story is the misinformation because it just doesn't line up. When you see this no. of damage control, you got it. Yeah. It's a damage
1: control of a very perhaps embarrassing situation. Uh, I don't know the story, obviously. I wasn't there and I don't know what happened, but there are certain elements of the story that don't fit together very well. And I don't trust the FBI whatsoever. (laughs) Never. You
2: can't, right? I mean,
1: we definitely don't.
2: It's just, well, since their inception, they've been a political organization that has constantly sort of covered up for the elites and uh, engaged in things like blackmail and, you know, uh, all kinds of political, I mean, Watergate and all the whole nonsense. And
0: stuff. once you have them show up at your door to ask questions to you, <laughs> you definitely don't see them in the same way anymore.
1: No. I mean, they engage in yeah. entrapment all the, all the time, yeah. you know, and this is not to say anything about the CIA, who I think are murderers. You
2: know? Oh yeah. And it's like, it's, it's that taken to, uh, it's like squared and then broadcast internationally. It's a whole, it's a whole pickle, and they're they're above any sort of scrutiny, and anybody right. who does try to scrutinize them has a unfortunate accident. You know, like Michael Hastings, who was the young uh, he was a thirty some reporter working for Rolling Stone. He was doing a piece on I think it was John Brennan, who was the ex director of the CIA at the time of the guys right. and Michael Hastings had a car accident one night because his car just randomly accelerated to Oops. ridiculous speeds, crashed into a tree, and he died. And it was all sort of just...
1: Yes, there's been a number of those types of accidents where they, some somehow the car accelerates in the middle of the city and yep. people are running into houses and uh, trees. And, uh, and it just so happens that they have been recently criticizing something, uh, you know, typically something to do with Hollywood or uh, typically to do with something to do with the elite. Yep their practices there was this coin uh not not this uh uh, this crypto guy that just died uh i think in san juan where he uh he said that there was a a, uh the cia was setting up an pedophilia uh, pedophilia entrapment circle and uh in fact he died uh 24 hours later drowned in the in the bay wow uh, he said before he died that he would be killed. Um, so he said, "If I die, it's you know because uh, the CIA basically tortured or killed me."
2: Jesus, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna put a note to look that up. I have not heard that story. You
1: yeah, know? I can I can find his name if you want me to. I think you I think just found, found it? it. No, maybe that's
2: not it. Know, it Jerry
1: Colton? Is. No, that's a different guy. No,
2: it's okay. I'll look it up later. Um, But yeah, this is, and this is the thing that we see, you know, these, and and these organizations, uh, it's very much akin to like a pathological family where you have a a parent who's a psychopath or malignant narcissist or a borderline, or both parents are, you know, cluster B. And I think what we're, it seems like we are being treated like the children in that family. And mom and dad are off their rocker. They don't (laughs) care about us. They expect psychopaths. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you're leading into the next thing. Yes, I wanted to to talk
2: a little bit about you know political poniology. So yeah, the foreword. to this
0: new edition. This
2: new edition, I encourage everybody to pick up this book. Yeah, very important. important. The knowledge in here, I think, is probably some of the most important human knowledge that we have as a species because it it really, for the first time, sort of distills the essence of human evil yep, and yeah, puts yeah. It into, it articulates it in, a, in psychological language that makes it so we can understand it and we can identify it and we can see the red flags in advance and then we can choose hey i don't want to be associated with
0: yeah. that for those who aren't aware Ponderology is the study of evil which the word was coined by the author of this book andre lobachevsky um what's so interesting about his approach was he was basically the first guy who formulated a way to study the concept of evil. In a scientific categorical way and he right. believed that we can't just rely on the theologians and the philosophers right. anymore to to address this problem of what is evil um we need to look at other things like biology and and psychology and the brain right and right. all sorts of things to try to understand where does this this abhorrent behavior that some people have towards fellow people come mm-hmm. from. and it's just Personally, when I first started learning about these concepts, it changed my entire way of looking at history. Um, mm-hmm. Not just modern history, but history in general. It explains so much. It, it kind of fits yeah. everything together in a way that I had never really conceived of before. So you wrote the foreword to this book. Um, how did you first hear about Andrei, Lo- Andrei Loboshevsky and and political ponderology
1: Well, actually, Harrison Coeli uh, was uh, a member of my... Um what I call the world Writing and Reading Treehouse.
0: Nice. We love Harrison.
1: And, uh, What's that?
0: We love Harrison. Harrison. Shout Harrison. Out to yeah.
1: Harrison's great. He's we a smart guy. On. He's the expert on this, not me. Yeah. Uh, he's by far the expert on ponderology. Yes. For um, those
0: who haven't yet, go watch our episode with Harrison. Very good episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's brilliant. He's a scholar of this stuff. He's deeply enmeshed in the scholarship, so he knows all the sources, all the... Uh, He also knows, you know, you know, previous precursors to it and, you know, uh, uh, positions that are pretty parallel to this. But he's right in suggesting that uh, Lobachevsky is the first to actually develop the science of evil, which is uh, psychology and to some extent biological. Uh, And um, and, uh, what I find interesting about the book, I'm not in. I'm not a psychologist and uh, that's not my field. I'm, I'm basically, I like studying large cultural phenomena. I was trained in cultural studies uh, and uh, actually theory and cultural studies, cultural theory. You know what that means critical theory and postmodern theory and all that. But uh, what I liked about it was the way he describes how, which I never thought possible of understanding totalitarian uh, regimes was to examine the earlier carriers and to show how they spread uh, their sick pathocratic ideology to the rest of the population. This was something that I was kind of skeptical about, but this really was quite convincing this book in arguing that, you know, it begins with a few pathological people. Uh, In the case of Marxism, it it begins with a sociopath, apparently, and then it gets picked up by psychopaths who then use it to uh, propagate this ideology and use it to their own ends. So that would be Lenin and Stalin and Mao and so forth. But these people are out-and-out psychopaths, and uh, they managed to put in a psychopathic regime in place uh, and to surround themselves with other psychopaths to the exclusion of normal people, as lobachevsky would put it. And uh, yeah, that's what—that's the part of it I found really uh, important. And
0: the results of this is, you know, what what he called macro social evil. You know, like right. typically when we look at evil, we're looking at a micro scale. We're, look, we're looking at, you know, things being done from individuals to individuals and their communities and things like that. He was trying to understand, well, how do you get this larger form of evil that can exterminate Mm -hmm. large groups of people all at once? And, and what is it that can get so many to turn their conscience off? And that's how I like to put it, because this, this is how I've been viewing conscience, this idea of a conscience for a while now, since I started to grasp what a psychopath is. And from what I understand, a psychopath does not have this mechanism right most people do and the thing about a conscience is it can be reduced it can be turned on or turned off the psychopath doesn't have it they can act like they have it and what they do is when they get into power they can get large amounts of people to be selective with their conscience or yeah. to actually just turn it off and it is sort of like an infection like you said it's and it's interesting cuz like it makes me think of gad sad's book uh, the parasitic mind When Mm -hmm. you talk about the the woke ideology and die, right? That's how he's describing it as well. He's describing those ideologies as a sort of parasitic thing. It's something Mm -hmm. that affects people, takes them over, almost like demonic possession. And, you know, I wish Gad Sad would read this book because I think it it would put what he's writing there into a larger perspective.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I agree with that. Uh, And the question then becomes, what is it parasitic on? And that, I think, is a key problem. Uh, I think it's parasitic on egalitarianism, in effect, because it uses our standard belief that everybody is legal, uh, legally equal, equal, or, if you want to put it in theocratic terms, le- you know, equal in the eyes of God, uh, and um, not theocratic, theological. I do not mean theocratic theological, uh, terms equal in the eyes of God. And then it uses that to, in our current scenario, it plays on this rhetoric and this ideology of equality, and then it subverts it. Yeah. So this is what we see going on. So I don't think there's a book that's more apropos to our situation today than political ponrology. We're under a ponrological, uh, system. Uh, this is, I can't think of it in any other way. It is evil, whether that has any cosmic, metaphysical uh, un, um, uh, undergirding or not, or implications. I won't say. I'm not going there. A lot of people ask me to go there. In many, in many ways, I it's like. Not even interest.
0: necessary. I don't even think it's necessary. But it's not necessary. You know, obviously, we can look at it through those lenses, and we can look at you know. Theology and we can look at mysticism, we can look at philosophy and combine those insights with the scientific insights of this book, but it's yeah. not really necessary. I think what's great about Lobachevsky is like he makes these concepts accessible to anyone, no matter what your belief system is. Right. Um, one of the things I wanted to address is, you know, most people have a conscience, like I said. Um, we're normal yeah. for the most yeah. part. Um, although, you know, we could we could address how our society is collectively going mad, but I think when you have a conscience what these people play on, the psychopath, is they play on this, this natural tendency as people with a conscience to believe that there's a little bit of good in everyone. And right. we want to believe that as people with a conscience. We want to believe that even Hitler is redeemable, that even Lenin is redeemable. And that might be a flawed way of looking at reality. And it's a, this was one of the hardest things for me personally to let go of when I started learning about these things is you know, maybe there are people out there who in their very nature just are evil. They are they are like an intraspecies predator in a sense. Yes. They're fundamentally different than us. They look like us. They act like us. They can mimic things, but they're fundamentally different. And our our natural tendency to want to think there's a little bit of good in everyone prevents us from really seeing
1: that. Exactly. The, the problem is that normal people, as Sloboczewski would call them, they give everyone the benefit of the doubt, and they That's assume that everybody has the same basic
0: moral uh, landscape
1: moral landscape as others and the same principles you know in effect the same basic constituents constituents of of personality in some sense so of course there's variations on that but we don't want to think that there's something endemically wrong with other people uh, and uh, that's the problem, actually. That's how we get duped. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's this unwillingness to sort of accept that there are some people out there that are just like empty, hungry, pain monsters. All they want to do is inflict pain on the people around them, and they will do it in legal ways or illegal ways, depending on their you know, access to resources, their intelligence You know, you can have very intelligent, wealthy psychopaths that probably avoid detection their entire lives. And then you have, you know, psychopaths who are born into, you know, in areas like Compton. uh, And they, you know, join a gang and, you know, they they either don't last long or end up in prison.
0: Robert Hare addresses this in his book, Uh, Without Conscience. He looks at, you know, the nature versus nurture aspect of this. And when I think when it comes to, like, psychopath what we're seeing here is there's something in the nature of that individual oh, yeah. that is preventing a parent-child bond first of all and is preventing them from having the full range of human emotions in that full range of
1: experience. It's, it's, absolutely and this is one of the things that our culture will will not deal with because yeah. there's been this trend of in what i call environmental determinism that that people are mostly determined by the environment Yes. And and, uh, there's been this hatred towards genetic determinism. And this is very typical of socialist and Marxist ideology, actually. This is why why they wouldn't accept Darwinism in in the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union and, and, uh, and Lysenkoism flourished, because they believed in the environmental conditions were all determinative
0: so robert, robert Hare in the book addresses that as well and you know if there's yeah. something in the nature that's making them a psychopath the, what the nurture seems to determine is the type of psychopath that comes out oh i see that's so you know and this you know he's not like 100 on this obviously we need to do re- more research to figure this stuff out but you know say you have someone where that conscience isn't present right the child parent bond is not taking place very early on but like all the things that should have been provided for them are provided. The parents are good, right? They got an education, all this stuff. You might end up with a psychopath who is more charming, more coercive, more manipulative, and, as Brent said, more able to um, evade Avoid. evade detection. If you have one who, say, born in the ghetto, doesn't have a present father figure, grows up on the streets, you know, gets beat as a kid, all this stuff, they might become more aggressive, and they might use more violence, more outright violence to get what they want to manipulate people that right. way. Then then you have, you know, the the like crazy butcher like serial. <laughs> <game. laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And yeah. like on hunters people should go watch that and, yeah. that. and those types are interesting because that's typically I think what Usually, I think this is changing, too. I think more and more people are becoming aware that it's not just this. But when most people hear the word psychopath, that's what they think of. They think of the killers, the butchers, the people who are. Right, guilty, exactly. who are they
1: don't think of Klaus Schwab. Yes. That, or Anthony Fauci. Yes. Or, and here's the this is the leap that I think lobachevsky makes. And I, I'd like to take us there is that what if our elites are psychopaths? Yep. What if what if we're dealing with a psycho? What if we're living under pathocracy? And um, what if, what, how do we deal with that question? So how do we know? That's the big question. How do we know? I think we have all the markers that Lobachevsky laid out that we're living under pathocracy now. Yeah. And uh, because they're doing all the things that pathocrats do, uh, all the uh, doublespeak, the, uh, what he called uh, uh, recursive, uh, recursive blockades, where yeah. they're speaking the exact opposite of the truth. So this blocks your access to the truth because they say the exact opposite. And then you go, oh, well, he's saying this. and But I think this. But maybe it's somewhere in the middle instead of, no, this person is outright lying. Not only lying, but they're inverting reality. Uh, Which is, I think, what's going on today in our leadership. They're inverting reality on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Gaslighting the hell out of us.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, we had this Dylan Mulvaney just sat down with the president. Like, this person who just started being trans like 200 and something days Not ago. Not even a year. Not even a year. Like And it's like sitting down to discuss these things with the president. And you have the president in this interview basically advocating for the sterilization and mutilation of our youth and and advocating for this elimination of biological sex. They are inverting reality.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, it's useful, though. And once you realize that's what they're doing, then you can sort of start to determine where reality lies yeah. by presuming Yeah. That's,
1: that's right but it's very scary for some people that like uh, you know unlike ourselves who have others we can talk to about these things because they understand what we're saying imagine being completely lost for context and you have no anchors and you don't know what's happening and you don't have any um uh you don't have any guidestones or criteria for determining this you know it's got to be really uh, disorienting to say the least um, people that are tossed into this vacuum oh yeah.
0: I think I think some people I think a lot of people actually full-scale
1: at which this is
0: happening meaning the trans stuff the puberty blockers those sorts of things I was talking to my grandma about this a couple weeks ago and she just turned 82 on Halloween so she was born in 1940 she's from an entirely different world and generation and very often she would she's in a nursing home now but very often she would say to me over the last few years like I don't recognize the world anymore she had she had no idea that this stuff was happening
1: at the same time yeah same with my mother before she died um exactly I, I I would almost spare her telling her the things that were going on yeah but she would be like, oh my, I told her some things and she was like, oh my God, she couldn't believe it. She just couldn't recognize the world. So she yeah. basically shut off uh, from it. Like Likewise, I'm very happy that she didn't actually come, you know, have to live in this very long. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and if anything, you know, Lobachevsky describes like uh, what he calls the hysteroidal cycle where he talks about society progressively losing its ability to determine right, you know, reality and how we become more hysterical. We become very uh, easily triggered. And that, you know, I mean, with COVID and with the election of Donald Trump, it's like. You know, I was studying, I, I found, I came across Ponerology. I guess, right when uh, Harrison. The first edition. The first out. edition. Yeah. So this was like 2006, I think, when it first came out. A oh, while. Wow. And even back then, I was sort of like, you know, convinced that like, this was like the stuff.
0: 2012 for me. But was really,
2: when, it. It, when, when once Trump got elected, and then subsequently with, you know, the lockdowns and the mandates and, and all the craziness, it just becomes clear that we are in a hysterical state. Oh, and- Totally. And it's like, we can't even have, we can't even have discussions about very basic issues. Like yeah. what is a man and what, what is a is woman? woman. Yep. Yeah, people and are scared. The next, scared. Thing, the next scared. thing that they're going to erase, by the way, is age. That's coming. That's going to be. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, on more, more mundane levels, just like you had Biden getting out of uh, saying recently, and I'm not getting into partisanship here, but I will say this, the Democrats are, are the, carriers of totalitarian ideology, the primary uniparty carriers of it. And he said, basically, this isn't your this isn't your grandfather's Republican Party. But really, that that applies to the Democrats. Now, this isn't your grandparents Democratic Party. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, my father was a Reagan Democrat. He was, you know, a Democrat because he came up through the Depression. Uh, But then he became a Reaganite, you know, for various reasons but he wouldn't i mean they wouldn't recognize this for the world what the hell these people are about i, I feel mean,
2: like we, we really lost republicans and democrats over the last 20 years you know the republicans kinda went when post 9/11 we had george bush the neocons the karl roves yep. uh, you know that we lost conservatism entirely you know, oh yes started spending money like left right and center you know let's launch a war here let's launch this a war this isn't
1: conservatism at all this is neo Neo con, neoliberal. Uh, I don't even like the word neoliberal because it's yeah, used true. so many different ways. Uh, but yeah, this is totally, I mean, th- 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 let's be real. These Trotskyites took over. Yeah. Um, these ex Trotskyites took over this movement. Uh, the whole slew of them were Trotskyites. And so they were looking for a new form of imperialism. This isn't conservatism at all.
0: No. So if a-
1: anything, the, tr- the Trump thing, was kind of a turn back to a sort of earlier type of conservatism in the 19th century when there was a populist uh, kind of movement in which there would be some protectionism and nationalism without, it's not fascism. It's, it's a particular type of uh, political um, uh, conservatism that's got a very deep American history. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, Nazism or Italian fascism or any of that. Yeah, anyway, Nazism
2: has become a bad word now. You're not allowed to like America. You know, America is the Great Satan now, according to the left. And right. anytime you you know talk good about America at all, they call you a Christo fascist. Yeah. Right. And, like we went up to protest in Burlington. You know, uh, Fred Sargent, who is a Gay rights pioneer. He was down at Stonewall, you know, protesting. Yeah, it it actually happened. He was attacked up in Burlington, so we went up and we protested the same group uh, two weeks after he was attacked. And these people thought we were all Christian conservatives when we were mostly and straight. We were mostly a bunch of gay people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're defending like the real legacy of the movement.
2: Yeah, and also all the. The, the troons, as I call them, uh, the, the the transgender goons, they were all young. Everybody the you knew. There was uh, was hardly anyone under the age of 35 that no, would, They have
1: absolutely no historical references at all. No,
0: correct. Nope. Well, there was the one that you you were.
2: I had to inform one.
1: Yeah, you were, were like, he's, a, he's a gay rights icon, you yeah. said
0: to him. And he looked at you like you had two mm-hmm. heads, like, huh? Gay rights icon. Gay rights icon? Mm-hmm. Why is he holding that sign?
2: What does gay not queer mean like he, these people didn't even know that queer was a slur was a up slur. until five minutes ago. Yep. Right. And it's just, it blows my yeah. mind. It's like, they've got no information, but I guess this is how communism sort of evolves at the macro social scale. Pathocracy. Yeah. Pathocracy. I also wanted to just make a quick point that, you know, serial killers individually, I think the most prolific serial killer, according to uh, Wikipedia here is uh some guy who has between uh possibly up to 250 lifetime kills 250 yeah. kills for the most prolific serial killer ever you know and when we look at communism communism there's they don't even know but the estimate is somewhere upwards around 100 million people that they right. And then you look at Russia, and that's somewhere, you know, 10 to 50 million people that they killed.
1: And and all the various, you know, in now South it's, America. Maoist
0: China, the struggle sessions, all of
2: that. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, 60 to 70 million if you count the famine. So, um, pathocracy is
2: like serial killing at, you know, orders, multiple orders of magnitude.
1: Many orders, yes. And this is what they're, they're, they're hands down in support of. Uh, so my new book, "The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty," is a study of these power elites. Now, I don't go into ponerological ponerological analysis of it, uh, but that's pretty apparent when you see what their views are—that there is a, a pathological pathocratic agenda underway. So this. That
2: these- this term, the
0: Great Reset, it's it's been thrown around a lot in the last couple yeah. of years in particular. Um, I believe it, it comes from the World Economic Forum, right? Were they the ones? Oh, one? yeah.
1: It's so, their term, although it goes back further than that. Okay. It was used by Richard Florida in his book called The Great Reset in 2010, which wasn't about this global reset. It was about, an, uh, he, he talked about great resets happening periodically during effectively uh, periods of economic downturn during depressions, the long depression uh, and the great depression, he called great resets. And he said after 2008 with the the financial crash in 2008, that it was another great reset. So Swab adopted this parlance and then applied it to this global reset that he's had in mind for years. Uh, This is a whole totally different kind of reset. This is an interventionist reset. that's take undertaken deliberately and not something that happens on its own spontaneously or anything like that.
0: So if, you know, for people who aren't familiar with this, if someone were to ask you, you know, Michael, what is the great reset? What is the <laughs> agenda? How would you define it? How would you explain that to them?
1: Well, I wrote a few essays by that title. Um, I would say, you know, there's there's several prongs. You have an economic prong. You have a uh, environmental prong, you have a Ma- neo-Malthusian prong, and you have a technological prong. The economic prong is really best cap- encapsulated by I- I- Ida Auken's statement in her blog uh, that's still up on Forbes magazine, by the way, that you will own nothing and be happy. So the idea there is basically a resetting the economy such that you will be stripped of your possessions uh, and we'll live in a two tiered system w- of what I call actually existing socialism on the ground and a kind of uh, uh state hybrid, uh, corporate hybrid monopoly on top. Uh, I call it chi- uh, capitalism with Chinese characteristics, it really mo- is modeled after China. Uh, yeah, that's Ida Hawkins piece, it's right? Like
0: there. A- like a neo feudalism,
1: it's a neo it's it's neo feudalism. It's it's uh, corporate socialism. It's uh, economic fascism. It's uh, capitalism with Chinese characteristics. It's all of those. It's like sweet and sour pork. You can't really you can't really use one label to define it. It's all of those things at once. Uh, so, yeah.
2: It's funny, prong. The, economic
1: I wrong. the um, environmental prong is the rationale for doing this. They're using environmentalism and climate change as the pretext for uh, undertaking this. And uh, they're instituting Malthusian population control growth tro- uh, control to, uh, uh, as well. That's another prong. and they're using technology as the enforcement mechanism for this. Uh, through digital IDs and CBDC or Central Bank Digital Currency. There's so many elements to The Great Reset. The book that I wrote is 365 pages plus an index. It's long. So uh, I tried to get at all of the elements and put them all together and make sense of them together.
2: Yeah, That's great. We that's, And that's what we need. We need more analysis of this kind of stuff. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think they nuked James Lindsay and, and yourself off there yep. is because you are individuals that have this knowledge, you're intelligent enough to grok it, and you're also articulate enough to transmit it. In a distilled and intelligent form that less intelligent or more normal people who don't have you know the time to really dive deeply into these issues, so that they can acquire that knowledge and then you know understand what's going on. James was
1: doing. I met James Lindsay about uh, I think it was October, early October, so about a month ago, and I said to him, jokingly, at this time I still had a Twitter account. I said I I got I finally have more Twitter followers than you and. (laughs) And he said, yeah, that's right. And little did I know, well, I kind of had a feeling I would be also bumped
0: yeah uh, we, we met him as well in texas we went to the was that the it was the minds no not the minds festival it was the, 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 oh, it was the, was the better discourse conference, better Discourses yeah. conference by myth Informed. and you know i sat with him for a couple hours and and we just chatted and joked around and you know he's a very genuine person he really yeah, truly, a very bright
1: guy too
0: really cares about these issues you know people accuse him of all these horrible things they call him you know a homophobe and all this stuff nope he broke bread with me perfectly fine he's you know no,
1: he's not homophobic he's not a bigot or anything nope like none
0: that. of that stuff so
1: yeah and, i mean it's yeah. cool. i've been called a transphobe and i've been called a homophobe just for the post that i put about neo malthusianism uh people on facebook were saying this is a libertarian this sounds like a an authoritarian to me because i cr- criticized this transgender movement i didn't say anything about transgender persons uh, and individuals i'm talking about a tr- cultural trend that's you know obviously is is identifiable and it's demonstrably happening this is not about persons or individuals which i'd never discriminate against on the basis of their identities it's yeah. it's it's entirely different to talk about macro social evil and, or macro social trends even if you don't think they're evil they're obviously trends What is more likely? uh, A thousand years ago, we had uh, this huge uh, squelch transgender uh, identity, or there's a cultural mania going on right now. What's more likely?
0: A social contagion, and that's the thing. You know, they like to say, "Well, oh, there's an increase in in gender nonconforming and trans people because now our society is more accepting of them, and that's why there's more of them." And it's maybe that's a bit of it. But it does not explain, for example, numbers that were coming out of the UK where we were seeing a 5,000 percent increase in kids, yeah, right. kids attending gender clinics because they're confused yeah. about this stuff. That's a social yeah. contagion. That's not having
1: nothing to do with propaganda or ideological propagation or yeah. uh, you know indoctrination and all that. No no, no, this is just a trend yeah. Because people were repressed for thousands of years and suddenly they're coming out. Give me a break. Nope.
0: It does not explain the the the, the sheer number of it. You know, no. it doesn't. And it doesn't.
1: this is another
2: thing, along with the knowledge of psychopathy and other cluster B personality disorders that is key, ideas can be just as pathological as viruses, bacteria, fungi. Uh, and, and we don't really have that, that reference. We don't have that understanding because the ideas are not a physical thing. They're, 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 they're cognitive, they're a concept. They're, uh, you know, a set of concepts, even an ideology. Um, but since they're not a physical thing, it's a lot harder for us to understand how they can cause non-physical or, uh, physical effects like mass genocide or, Mm -hmm. uh, racism or bigotry and those kinds, like these ideas are contagious. And the the cure is actually being aware that 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 can happen. And that some ideas that can cause you, you know, cause just as much physical harm as, say, you know, COVID or, uh, you know, HIV or anything else you can catch, any other kind of infection. Yeah. Well, I talk about this. It's funny.
1: They don't see that when it comes to their own thing in other words they're they're really willing to understand that our ideas or my ideas are contagious and evil and they so could right, spread exactly. and therefore i have to be yeah. supported I But they're, I, they're not they don't have self-propagating ideas of their own
0: So, you know, we're talking about propagating, and I'm going to mention this book again, and I mentioned it a 100 times in the show, but everyone, please go read Propaganda by Edward Bernays, because one of the reasons this stuff happens is people don't understand the methods that are being used against them. They don't understand that the elites study that stuff.
1: The elites
0: want to understand how do we control the crowd? How do we control the mass mind? Right, and right. what methods can we use to get them to think a certain way, do certain things? Is that Laban, Le Gustav LeBon, the crowd? Gustav LeBon was crowd psychology, and Bernays and that,
2: was propaganda.
0: Well, Bernays, what he did was he took the theories of LeBon and he fused them with the psychoanalytical theories of um, Don't read bon. of his it's uncle painful.
2: Freud, and he started
0: to fuse them to create this this concept of how to create propaganda and he would work for corporations and political campaigns to sell ideas or to sell products
2: i remember trying to read yeah. it was hard well
0: propaganda is really easy so to read propaganda a, is easy it's to a think. short book but like again this is what the elites study so if you don't understand the mechanisms that are being used against you it's just you're more you're going to be more susceptible to it and what it comes down to is we are all susceptible to propaganda all of us, yeah. And the people who think they're not—you're the most susceptible, more than anyone. The propaganda
1: so you- probably could be explained in sort of a biochemical terms. You know, yeah. it has like there's a there's a like a like a like a parasite has like a way of attaching itself, right? Hmm. Similarly, propaganda works by it somehow attaching itself to I, you know, to your mental. Cognitive uh, to your cognitive operations, and then infecting in that, and then self-propagating within that. Well, and all ideas very- do that, though. In and art- all ideas do that. I mean, this, this is why is- ideas rule the world, really. And this is how Bernays defined propaganda. He wasn't
0: defining it as something that was like good or evil, really he was kind of defining any attempt to spread any kind of idea or message as propaganda. Like this right now, what we're doing is a form of propaganda, right? We are trying to yeah. propagate certain ideas to get people to think in a certain way. Um, right. The difference is this is propaganda that is making people aware of that propaganda. It is- and how it works, how it functions. So you can, you know, be less susceptible to it. It doesn't mean you'll be perfectly immune. I don't think anyone's perfectly immune from it, but the more you understand how it works, the less susceptible you're going to be and the less likely it's, it's going to affect you. You know, you'll be able to recognize like, Oh, this is, you know, trying to make me think in this way, or is trying to, you know, make me buy this or that, you know, it's all around us, you know, everything from art to commercials to billboards to presidential speeches, Absolutely,
2: or TikTok stars, or TikTok. talking to presidents mm-hmm. who happen to where have. Where does that
1: leave us now? I'm, uh, <laughs> where do we go from here? I, I have a few minutes left. Um, I probably well, should jump off. So fast.
0: maybe give us, you know, some final thoughts. You know, what, like you said, where does that leave us now? Maybe that's the question. Yeah, that's,
1: that's that. a good question. Well, we're up against it with, um, I think, a global elite. Uh, that is using ideology, uh, propaganda, and power. Uh, they're they're using everything at their disposal right now, and they effectively, uh, well, as I you started off reading that quote of mine, they're going to try to figure it all as as benign as actually uh, beneficial to the to the to the general wheel. Uh, they're going to try to figure it as uh, necessary for our survival uh, with climate change and all these things. And uh, I just recognize, I would like to leave people with this idea, recognize that this totalitarianism is best disguised by telling you that it's in your best interest to uh, to adopt it and uh, that it's for the common good And all this. Uh, they're going to use that kind of rhetoric for for a good while and and some would say that at some point they'll come out being you know their naked power will show itself i think that's true it will but they'll never stop using this kind of ideology yeah
2: yeah. So it's really important to call it out, to be aware of it and to, you know, do what you can. And in every small way, like, yeah. you know, we're, we have the podcast, but you know, maybe people out there, they can't do that. So maybe you could if, just, if
1: in fact there are puppet masters and I said this at the talk where I gave uh work, James Lindsay was also spoke after me. The key is to detach the strings from your body. We don't have to know who they are. If you detach the strings, from yourself from your mind and body then they can't manipulate you yes
2: yeah so that's i mean that's the trick that's why I like we yeah. like to talk about ponerology and psychopathy and, and propaganda all, and all that
0: stuff yeah be aware of the strings start to see them and one by one you'll be able to pluck them off and you know that that stops feeding this system this agenda be, that's yeah.
1: maybe the only power we have yes is our choices
0: right now, and how we just yeah. act and think and live? And you don't have to do what we're doing and have podcasts and write books and stuff. It can be in smaller ways, you know. Have conversations with people in your life, you know, who are close Absolutely. to you. And describe it, you know. There are smaller ways you can push back, and if anything, those smaller ways collectively are probably the best ways to
1: defeat that, that's it. The, that's the best way, actually. It's the smaller things, and each individual doing what they what they can do to stay free from these manipulators yeah. um, and uh, that's that's the, that's the best advice i can give
2: yeah
0: michael tell everyone where they can find you online
1: it's all at michael that's r-e-c-t-e-n-w-a-l-d.com my essays are all up there they're free although somebody you probably have paid me to write them and uh so but they're free to the readers i don't charge anything on substack the only thing i charge for are my books and all of that is found at michaelrechtenwald.com. all my interviews, essays, uh, videos, and so forth.
0: We'll throw the link in the description. Michael, thank you so much for your time and for having this very important discussion with us and for all the work that you're doing and, you know, taking those slings and arrows, man, because it's definitely, yeah. I know it's a difficult thing. It's very exhausting. So I commend
1: you. Uh, thanks so much. And it's great to be ha- to be on here with you guys today. I appreciate it
2: all right thanks again michael yeah. i'm gonna end the recording and don't forget to like subscribe comment give us money all the things share with your friends all share the, the show with your friends we love yeah. you stay safe stay sane bye-bye later guys